Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 73 from Leveling into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Now, this, this podcast, is for you know anyone whether you are remotely curious about the religion of islam or if you are studying the religion of islam or if you're thinking about becoming a muslim or if you just became a muslim uh, or if you are already a muslim who wants to learn more about islam this podcast is for you inshallah uh, now with that being said let's get right into today's topic and today's topic, we will talk about the the second most significant battle in, in Islamic history, which is the Battle of Uhud. Uh, now, for those of you who do not know, the Uhud is a name of, of a mountain in Medina or right, you know, right next to Medina. And actually, it, it is a mountain of Jannah, of paradise. The Prophet ﷺ said in an authentic hadith that Uhud is a mountain of paradise of jannah now we don't know what that means maybe this mountain exists in jannah right and the same exact mountain uh, and the prophet ﷺ also mentioned there are actually a couple of uh, you know hadith regarding the mountain of uhud uh, for example the prophet ﷺ said that the, the mountain of uhud it loves us and we love it now us means the believers so again the mountain of uhud loves the believers and the believers should love it. So that means it's a sign of Iman. It's a sign of belief to love the mountain of Uhud just because of these you know, statements. Uh, also, what's really interesting about this mountain and one of the incidents that took place on the mountain itself is that one time, you know, our Prophet and Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman, the, 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 the top three companions, were climbing that mountain. You know, they were just, you know, hiking and you know climbing the mountain um uh, of Uhud and then it started trembling and shaking so the mountain started actually shaking so look at this the prophet ﷺ tapped it with his foot you know he stepped on it and he said Uthbut ya Uhud. Stead, steady Uhud. steady he's literally talking to the mountain he said steady Uhud. standing on you standing on you a prophet a believer, a Siddiq, uh, like the ultimate believer, and two martyrs. Again, let me let me repeat that. The Prophet وسلم, along with Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman. Remember Uthman, the one we mentioned that he was extremely shy, and the angels are actually shy of him because of how shy he is with you know uh, human beings and how shy he is from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That's Uthman. Uh, so all uh, four of them were, you know, going up the mountain. And it starts shaking really, you know, roughly. And then the Prophet ﷺ taps it with its with his with his foot and he said, Steady Uhud, Uthbut ya Uhud. On you there is a prophet. He's talking about himself. A Siddiq, meaning an ultimate believer. Who's the ultimate? Remember we said Abu Bakr a Siddiq, that's the nickname of Abu Bakr. The ultimate believer because he believed the Prophet and everything. So he said, On you is a prophet and an ultimate believer and two martyrs. The Prophet predicted that Umar and Uthman will die as martyrs, will be basically killed in a you know in a way that makes them martyrs. Which is incredible. Because that was a prediction by the Prophet and it didn't happen yet. And of course, that's one of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, revealed to the Prophet in terms of like the unseen and the future. And indeed, Umar died as a martyr. Remember, we said Umar wanted to die as a martyr in Medina. And his son, remember, uh, for those of you who remember, and his son said, how would you die as a martyr in Medina? Medina has no war happening inside of it. So how would you die as a martyr? 
and then uh, there was this this uh, this uh, guy who snuck into Medina, who was not a Muslim, and then he stabbed the uh, he he stabbed Omar while he was praying, and Uthman also died in some sort of a civil war kind of thing, but he died as a martyr too. Um, uh, that took place many years after. So both died as martyrs, actually. So the prediction of the Prophet, and again, we shouldn't be surprised. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them uh, certain things that, you know, and, and we'll talk about when we come to the Day of Judgment. He, the Prophet told us many things about the Day of Judgment that was revealed to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, we all know what happened in the Battle of Badr and how the Muslims, you know, won the battle and it was an incredible victory for the Muslims and an incredible defeat for uh, the people of Mecca, for Quraysh. So immediately the people of Mecca started planning for Uhud, for this battle. They planned to attack Medina, right? As a retaliation for Badr, basically. And they also wanted... That was not it. It was not just retaliation. They realized now the Muslims have won. This is dangerous because now the the message of Islam will spread. And they wanted to stop the message of of Islam from spreading. So also that's another reason, another motivation for them to plan for the Battle of Uhud. So they took an entire year to plan this battle. Can you imagine? They were planning for it for an entire year. Abu Sufyan... And who is uh, Abu Sufyan? Abu Sufyan is the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, like we said. And, you know, he uh, was the one in charge of the caravan in the Battle of Badr. Remember, uh, he was like the, the strategic mastermind who was able to, you know, avoid the Muslims uh, with the caravan. So that is Abu Sufyan. And he never participated in the battle because he was on, uh, in the Battle of Badr because he was, remember, he was with the caravan. So he was uh, far away from the battlefield. Now, Sufyan took Ikrima. Ikrima, who's Ikrima? He's the son of Abu Jahl, the worst enemy of Islam, remember? Uh, he took him and he took someone called Safwan ibn Umayyah. Again, ibn Umayyah was the guy who owned Bilal. Remember Bilal? The one who owned him. So he took his son. So these two people, individuals that he you know, had with him, they lost their parents in the Battle of Badr. So they have, you know, uh, again, a retaliation uh, 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 motivation, you know, to uh, go and fight the Muslims. And they started knocking on the doors of everyone in Mecca. Why? Everyone who had an investment in the caravan of Badr, now it's time to pay back. We saved your caravan. That's what they're telling the people. We saved your caravan. We lost people in the process. Now it's time to pay back. And they wanted them to pay money back to support this battle. You know, as, you know, buy supplies and, you know, it's money for the battle. Even though, here's the funny part. It was not their money in the first place. Remember, the caravan had the money of the Muslims. The caravan had the money of the Muslims, not the money of the people of Quraysh. But again, like they made, you know, the, the, they, they, they made peace that, oh, this, is, this was our money, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, we won it fair and square. And they started asking them for money and all these things. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually describes the situation in the Quran, in the chapter of Anfal, verse number 36. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا يُنْفُقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ لِيَصُدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَسَيُنْفُقُونَ ثُمَّ تَكُونُ عَلَيْهِمْ حَصْرًا ثُمَّ يُغْلَبُونَ وَالَّذِينَ كَفْرُوا إِلَى جَهَنَّمَ يُحْشَرُونَ So Allah is basically saying that those people are trying to collect money and spend money to fight the Muslims, to fight the cause of Allah. And they will spend it. And they will spend it. And eventually, eventually, They'll spend it for nothing. They'll have some victories, no problem. Allah is, is, is telling us this in the Quran. But eventually, it will all be for nothing. And after that, they will be driven into hellfire. Those who spend so much money to attack Islam. By the way, this happens in modern time too. For those of you who do not know. Some entities, some political organizations, some political individuals spend 
tons of money, tons of money to ruin the image of Islam, to stop Islam from spreading or to stop Islam in general or to diminish Islam. This is in modern time. In modern, this happens. And this verse applies on them too. It applies to them. You know, you spend as much as you spend millions of dollars. No problem. Eventually, you will spend it for nothing. It will be all for nothing. And after that, if you really hate the idea of Allah, and if you can't stand the idea of the truth, you will be driven into hellfire. No, but until then, we don't know who could be guided and who, this is the attitude of a Muslim. We don't know who will be guided and who won't. But those who will die upon misguidance, those who will die upon hating Islam and trying to ruin Islam, then we already know what will happen to them, you know, from numerous verses in the Quran. Now, this verse uh, is a miracle in itself because this verse was revealed right after the Battle of Badr. So when it was revealed, there was, again, a year before this incident. Nobody knew what that verse was talking about. No one knew. Collecting money for what? This, was, this verse was revealed a year in advance. And when this happened, of course, this verse was, you know, interpreted and, and, and understood. But that's, you know, another miracle of the Quran. Now, Quraysh reached out to, you know, other tribes of Mecca to help with, you know, Help with supplies, help with uh, weapons, whatever, right? Help with food. And some of them agreed, some of them did not. And some of them said, we have no quarrel in this whole thing. You know, we just, we have no problem. We don't want to participate. But some, of course, agreed to help. And uh, the army of Quraysh marched out of Mecca heading to Medina. They were about, they wanted to attack Medina. They wanted to attack the Muslims in Medina. And there were around 3,000 warriors, including 200 horsemen and 700 armored warriors. So when we say armored, that means no, every warrior, most of them had shields. We're talking about the full-on armor, you know, face armor, you know, this, this, the helmet that they wear, the body armor with like whatever, the metal silk that they put or the metal, the metal nets that they put, whatever, you know, the armors that you see uh, uh, in movies and, uh, and, and war movies and all these things back in the day, that's what I meant. 700 fully armored and 200 horsemen and the rest were, you know, had their sh- swords and shields and, you know, somehow of an armor, but not a full one. Now, Abu Sufyan was the main leader of the army. We know we just said that. He was the main leader. Of, now he's participating. Now he's part of the battle. So he put in charge in the right flank Khalid ibn al-Walid. Khalid ibn al-Walid was known to be a, a, a military genius. A military genius. And uh, uh, he put in the left uh, flank Ikrimah, again, the son of Abu Jah. Uh, and uh, Khalid ibn al-Walid was known to be a very fierce warrior uh, and uh, an intelligent, very intelligent army leader. The reason why we're emphasizing this because Khalid ibn al-Walid will have a huge role in this battle uh, negatively against the Muslims, of course. Uh, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. Now, Al-Abbas, which is the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu has, remember he was captured in the Battle of Badr? He was not a Muslim yet. Uh, and then remember Abbas when he said, Oh, I saw a man who fought me because he was describing an angel who took the form of a man. Remember this incident? He said, This guy did not catch me. Um, the, uh, the one who caught me was someone else. The one who fought me was someone else. Find me that man because that's not him. You know, go back to the Battle of Badr. This incident took place. So uh, it is reported that uh, most likely it, it's estimated that uh, Al Abbas. Converted to Islam right after the battle, but he was taken as a prisoner and he converted to Islam and he was sent to Mecca as a secret Muslim. And he started preaching Islam. Secretly though. Secretly. Uh, <clears throat> so as soon as the army of Quraysh left Mecca to go attack the, 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 the Muslims, Al-Abbas sent a trusted messenger to the Prophet Someone who he trusted, you know, one of his servants who he trusted that he's not going to go tell on him to, you know, the people of Quraysh. And he sent him to the Prophet ﷺ to warn him of the attack. It took three days for the messenger to reach Medina, which was extremely fast, by the way. 
three days is ridiculously fast. Then, you know, he hands the letter because, you know, Abbas wrote it in a letter and he hands the letter to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ was illiterate. We all know this. He did not know how to read or write. You know, he did not know how to read or write. So he gave it to, you know, a close companion and the companion basically read the letter and the whole description of what's going on was there. So our Prophet ﷺ sent a few spies to check on, uh, you know, the army of Quraysh. And they confirmed exactly what was in the letter. That, that, by the way, that doesn't mean he didn't trust Al-Abbas. He just wanted, the Prophet ﷺ was so wise that he had to verify visually what was going on, right? Um, he didn't want to leave anything to like a wrong interpretation or all. And we should learn from that, by the way. We should verify any news that comes to us before we take action, especially if it was something that was significant as war or as a conflict with someone we know or all these things, right? Um, then he holds a meeting with, you know, the close companions and because this is critical now, you guys have to understand that Medina for the first time was under attack. The battle of Badr Medina was not under attack, but now Medina is under attack. This is significant. So he held, uh, you know, a meeting with the rest of the companions. Uh, now our prophet sallallahu saw a dream back in Mecca when he was still in Mecca, that did not make any sense at the time. So basically, the dream was, uh, uh, Prophet ﷺ was striking something with his sword. And then his sword broke. Then he struck with the whatever was left in his hand from the sword. He struck with it again. And then the uh, sword was basically reassembled as it was before. Then he was wearing an armor, which was, you know, uh, he was wearing an armor. And uh, basically the armor was referencing Medina itself. The Prophet understood from the dream that it was referencing Medina itself. Right. And basically he was told not to take off that armor. So basically to stay in Medina. Now, our Prophet ﷺ announces to the Muslim what was going on. Now, they need the help. They need, you know. And he gives them, you know, the opinion that he, he told them about the dream. And he said, I think we should, I think this dream, because it was not explicit. But he said, I think this dream meant that we should stay in Medina and fight there. And, uh, you know, uh, um, um, we, we, you know, um, what's his name? Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Now, who is Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul? Uh, that was uh, basically the leader of the hypocrites, Ibn Salul. Let's call him Ibn Salul. Uh, so Ibn Salul was uh, the leader of the hypocrites. Uh, he agreed with the Prophet Wasallam, and basically he said, you know, remaining in Medina, number one, gives the Muslims a huge advantage because they know the ins and outs of Medina. Unlike if you go in the battlefield, it's it's a fair fight. The Muslims want to have advantage, of course. Uh uh, and also, you know, because, you know, winning, fighting in the streets of Medina will result in winning, uh, the winning of those who know the streets, right? Um, and Abdullah ibn, ibn Salul, when he commented on the opinion of the Prophet ﷺ, he said, I agree because Medina was never, was never attacked successfully from within. So people who came into Medina were never were never able to either, you know, win a battle or, you know, invade Medina or whatever, right? Now, there was a group of, you know, young Muslims who were eager to fight. They were not able to participate in Madr and now they want to have their chance to prove themselves. So their opinion was we should not remain in our houses. Like we don't want to be cowards. They basically said that we want to be show bravery. Instead, we should go out and fight them in a battlefield. Now, when they said that, the seniors of the companions, this, this is now the meeting taking place, and everybody's you know, you know, spilling out their opinions. The senior companions, which is Omar, Abu Bakr, Uthman, all these, all these people, Ali, did not make any comment. They were just silent. Now, while they were silent, the young Muslims kept pushing for it. We need to go. We need to show that what we can do. We have to go. We have to fight on all these things. They kept pushing it. They kept pushing it. They kept pushing it until the Prophet ﷺ, you know, stood up and said, okay, we will go to, you know, the battlefield. So the Prophet ﷺ agreed to their, uh, uh, you know, agreed to their 
demand because you know how much they persisted uh, and he was also taking their opinion as well now the prophet stood up and left and he went to wear his armors to get ready for the battle once the prophet left the senior companions approached the younger ones and they said they kind of like gently rebuked him and they said basically the prophet gave his opinion he said we should stay in medina why would you oppose that opinion you know, why didn't you respect the opinion? Of, this is now the seniors out of their politeness and respect of the Prophet Sallallahu They didn't want to argue in front of the Prophet So they waited for him to leave so they can talk to these young kids, right? So they basically told him, like, why didn't you respect the opinion of the Prophet Sallallahu That's, why would you do that, you know? Uh, and then the young Muslims, they actually felt bad and they said, okay, let's stay in Medina then. Um so they sent Hamza, who is, you know, the fierce uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu to, to, to go to the Prophet Sallallahu and tell him there's a change in plans, let's just stay in Medina. Uh, Hamza walks in and the Prophet Sallallahu already, you know, put on his armor. And um, he tells him, we change our minds or they change their minds and let's just, you know, stay in Medina. But then the Prophet Sallallahu said, it is not befitting for a Prophet once he put on his armor to take it off before fighting the enemy. It's 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 a decree by Allah. You know, once a prophet, and this goes on all prophets, by the way, which now we know it's a ruling. Once they put on their armors to fight the enemy, they cannot take it off before fighting the enemy. So basically, it's too late. Like the Prophet was saying, Hamza, in other words, it's too late. Now, because Quraysh is like surprise attacking, the Muslims only find a handful of horses. I think it was like um, those were like a few horses, like not that much, you know. And around the max of like a uh, hundred suit of armors versus seven hundred ar- fully armored men, they have like a hundred max, right? And then the Muslims marched marched to the mountain of Uhud, which was. A, literally like a little bit of over a mile away from you know Medina now the question arises why Uhud why the mountain of Uhud number one the Muslims were not going to be able to meet the people of Quraysh in an open battlefield like you see in the movies you know the open they needed to be protected by the mountain from at least two to three sides because the mountain, by the way, the mountain of Uhud looks, it doesn't look like a one single mountain. It's a, basically a, a chain of mountains. It's like a series of mountains, right? Uh, and uh, it's like curvy. It's a little bit like, cur- it's a curved mountain. And that gives them protection from, you know, three sides at least. Uh, and if you guys, you know what? I, I want to like, just imagine with me. That the mountain of Uhud is again, and guys, you look look it up on YouTube uh, or look it up on you know on Google to see uh, what it looks like. Is the mountain of Uhud still stands until today? You can go visit it in Saudi Arabia. Um, so uh, it, it's basically uh, wrapping; it will wrap partially around the Muslims. So now the Muslims shouldn't worry about an army coming from behind them. And army coming from, you know, their left or their right side. And the left side as well. Like I said, it's it's curved to be like, you know, almost, uh, you know, like uh, half a circle. So when this happens, right, they will have, from that spot, they will have two areas to worry about. They will be facing two areas. One that's directly in front of them, which is a little bit of a passage. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about like, you know, the planning, but it's a little bit of a passage. And it will tell you the military genius of the Prophet ﷺ, why he chose this exact location. Uh, and, you know, a little bit to the left, between this passage, there's a big mountain, which is now called the Mountain of the Archers, uh, Jabal al-Rumah. A little mountain, it's not like a huge mountain, a little mountain, smack in the middle. And then... Next to that mountain, between the mountain now and, 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 and the rest of the chain of Uhud, there's a little passage. There is a little passage that's a little bit, you know, uh, uh, below the level of, you know, b- below the below ground. A little bit 
passage that you know comes down so again i know this could be very a little bit difficult to imagine but let me say it again let's say the muslim army is facing giving its back to the mountain of uhud and from the sides as well now the muslims are facing right their 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 north their you know front side is a, a space that is divided uh, by a, a, a small mountain called the mountain of the archers a space that's the so one space is bigger than the other it's not like in the middle it's you know you can say three quarters to a quarter of that space so the three quarters is basically where the muslims will defend and or attack where the battle will take place now there is a little portion that's a little passage you know behind that uh, a mountain, uh, the the mountain of the archers, and it's basically the passages between the mountain of Uhud and the mountain of the archers. That passage has to be protected by archers. So the Prophet ﷺ basically assigned archers to stand on top of the mountain and protect the passage in case of you know Quraysh brings people or a little secret group to come from that passage and you know attack. So I hope you guys have. A rough idea of you know the 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 layout of the of the battlefield. Now, on the way to Uhud, and here is something that's very interesting and one of actually the biggest wisdoms of Uhud, and Allah mentions it in the Quran. The 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 hypocrites, we know that they were among the Muslims, right? They were around like three hundred men in the battle. They slowly began retreating and slipping away from. The, the army of the Muslims This is on the way You didn't even get to the battlefield And they started going back to Medina And when the companions saw them You know leaving So they asked them what, what, what are you doing? Are you guys abandoning us? And then Ibn Salul Who is the leader said Listen Muhammad He's talking about the Prophet ﷺ, listened to a group of young people and he ignored my advice. So why should I risk my life and my men's life for him? And they left. Now, one of the main benefits, like I said, of Uhud is that Allah officially separated between the believers, the true believers, and the hypocrites. Actually, I mentioned this in, in, my, in, in a previous in a, in, a, in, a, in a previous episode when we were talking about betrayal and forgiveness in Islam. And I mentioned that Allah sub, uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes allows betrayal so we know who is good and who is bad. And this applies on our daily lives. When we are betrayed by a group of loved ones or trusted people at least because that's what betrayal is, right? You, you trust someone and they betray you. And Allah allows them to betray you in maybe the worst way possible yes it hurts yes it could cause issues and it could cause you know defeat mental defeat at least but this is basically allah's exposing those hypocrites you know to you and basically now taking them out of your life they were not good to you they were not supposed to be in your life so let's taking them out this is exactly what happened here this is exactly what happened here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in the chapter of Anfal, verse number 37, Allah says, I allowed this to happen because I wanted to differentiate between the true believers and the evil ones, the evil uh people who pretended to be believers and who pretended to be Muslims, which they were the hypocrites. Because guess what? The Muslims did not know. They were like, oh, maybe they don't pray with us. They don't, maybe there's a hope, there's hope for them. Well, after this, it's official now. These are the hypocrites. It's official. You know? So, there were the Muslims in total were about uh, uh, a thousand. So when the hypocrites left, now the Muslims are only seven hundred left to fight three thousand uh, people of Quraysh. Now, uh, and here is you know um, 
an interesting part. If all the Muslim men were around a thousand, let's say that roughly worldwide at the time, because again, Islam didn't spread worldwide, right, at the time. There was like roughly, roughly, I think a max of 1,500 Muslims, men and women around the world at the time. This is roughly, like I think, you know. If that's the case, look at what Allah did with 1,500 people at the time. Allah changed the entire world with 1,500. Actually, Allah changed the entire world with 300 in the Battle of Badr. The entire world changed with only 300 people in the Battle of Badr. Subhanallah. It tells you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, doesn't matter how few you are. If Allah decided you will be victorious, if Allah wants his religion to spread, it will spread. Now, we don't find it now as it's the it's not the majority of, you know, the, the majority of, of, of mankind are not Muslims, but they, sh they don't have to. Allah does not want, Allah gives us the choice, right? We talked about this numerous times. Allah gives us the choice. As long as there are Muslims on earth, this is Allah wants the best of the best. Those who see the truth and admit it, those who see the truth and work for it and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, you know, try to, you know, elevate their communities, to try to elevate the Muslims, to try to show people what Islam is, you know, uh, what Islam truly is. Allah wants all of us to go to Jannah. Allah created all of us, a pagan, a disbeliever, a Muslim, a Christian, uh, a Jew, uh, a Hindu, uh, a Buddhist, a, an atheist. Allah created all of us. Allah created all of us. And nothing will be, you know, uh, more beloved to Allah than all of us going to Jannah. But there are people who would simply reject Allah. And this is something Allah does not tolerate. When they see, um, We're talking about those who see the truth and they choose to ignore it. Then Allah says, no, not all of you need to go to Jannah then. To admit the simplest thing in the world. If you're too arrogant to do so, then Jannah is not for you. So uh, let me go back because I know we went on a tangent. Now, uh, our Prophet ﷺ examined the Muslim army when he reached Uhud. When they got to the location, he examined the Muslim army. And he took out around like a dozen warriors and asked them to go home because of their young age anybody below 15 was exempt from the battle like Abdullah ibn Umar the son of Umar ibn al-Khattab he had to go Usama ibn Zaid you know Zaid we talked about Zaid in in, 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 uh, in, uh, in the episode of the wives of the Prophet um, the one that the Prophet adopted uh, so his son was also participating and uh, the Prophet ﷺ exempt him from the battle because he was under uh, under 15. So now, like we said, the Muslims were protected, you know, from three sides. Now the opening in front of him, the, the, the little battlefield, if the mini battlefield in front of him, that passage, right? That was like around 300 meters wide, which is genius on the Prophet's behalf because guess what? 3,000, the people from Quraysh, when they come, they will have to cram. They have to... You know, they will have to be narrowed down to fit in the 300 meters. Now it makes the odds better. It raises the odds. You have 700 fighting 3,000, uh, 3, but if the 3,000 are narrowed down to fit in that little 300 you know, meters, then there, there's a better chance of winning. And then he assigned... The archers, like we said, on the mountain of the archers. It, it was called the mountain of the archers because of that incident. Um, and told them to look at that little passage between Uhud and this mountain to protect it, to keep it safe, and to never leave their posts. Do not leave the mountain until I tell you so. Until basically I give you the green light. Do not leave the mountain. He's telling the archers, don't you dare leave the mountain until I give you a signal, until I tell you it's okay to leave, the battle is over, it's okay to leave. Then the army of Quraysh reached the mountain of Uhud. Now, our Prophet ﷺ, you know, raised the sword and asked all the Muslims, 
who will take the sword look at this who will take the sword and fight with it until it breaks Muslim is asking the Muslims now I have a sword in my hand who will take it and fight until it breaks with it you know so a companion by the name of Dujana he said I will O Prophet of Allah now uh, Abu Dujana is the name of the companion uh, he was known to be a fierce warrior even before Islam before he converted by the way he was known in Quraysh that he was just an incredible warrior he had the skills and everything he also had a special turban he called it the turban of death the turban of death he only wrapped it in extreme wars and extreme battles so when he wraps that turban you know he's he means business right he's serious uh, so he took the sword from the Prophet ﷺ, put on his turban, and walked proudly in front of the army of Quraysh. Because now they are, you know, they can they can't see each other. They're like from a, a close enough distance to to see each other. And he walked proudly and waved his sword, mocking them. You know, to mock the army of Quraysh. And here's the interesting part: Our Prophet ﷺ comments on this, and he says, "Allah despises." this type of walk and attitude except for this situation look at the beauty the beauty of islam walking proudly and mocking people waving you know whatever you have in their faces this is something that is despised by allah this is in the chapter of luqman by the way Mentioned, Allah says, do not walk proudly and, you know, arrogantly on earth. Allah does not like those who are arrogant and proud, you know, not proud in, in, in a positive way, proud and like, you know, rubbing it at people's faces and, you know, thinking that they are better than everyone and all these things. So Allah despises such a walk and such an attitude, except for this situation, Allah loves it. Because they're fight, they're they're number one. They're boosting the morale of the Muslims. They're fighting for the cause of Allah while people trying to destroy the cause of Allah. So it is allowed only in such an incident. Um, then the army of Christ tried to divide the Muslims. Now, look at this. Look at their tactics. They wanted to divide between the Muhajirin and the Ansar, the immigrants and the Ansar. So Abu Sufyan sent a flag bearer, a messenger, with a message that says, O people of Medina, now they're addressing the people of Medina, the Ansar, leave us with our cousins because we have nothing against you. You know, go back to your homes and wives and, you know, go back to Medina safely. Our battle is not with you. Our war is not with you. It's with, the, with our people from Quraysh. The Ansar got so angry at this that they started mocking and insulting the army of Quraysh. What Abu Sufyan failed to understand is that the bond between Muslims was way stronger than kinship. Than the bond between actual families. Unless your family is Muslims, then the bond has to be more than anybody else, right? But if your family is not Muslim and then you have uh, Muslim brothers and sisters, your bond with the Muslims should be stronger than those who oppose Islam. And Abu Sufyan did not realize this. Now, the battle started as usual. It started with a duel. Like we said, like in the battle of Badr, it also start, it has to start with a duel. But this time it was between one warrior against one warrior. Again, it all depends on what they decide. So this guy, his name was Talha. He was from... Quraysh. He stepped out, he stepped forward, and he asked, Who will fight me? He's again rubbing it in the Muslims' faces. Because he was known to be a great warrior, too. Then Ali, the cousin of the Prophet, stood up and he said, I will fight you. Now, this guy Talha, by the way, we have Talha on the side of Muslims as well. We'll talk about him because he has a significant role in the battle. But we're talking about the bad Talha now. You know, the Talha guy from Quraysh. So that Talha from Quraysh was wearing a full body armor. Head to thigh. That's basically where the armor ends, right? And Ali had no armor. Ali had no armor. He literally had a shield and a sword. His whole body is exposed. Any stab, anything, anyone he get, it will be straight to his flesh. 
and Talha from Quraysh had a full body armor. So they both started the duel. They start fight each other. And then Talha gave Ali a blow with his sword. He had a heavy hit with his sword. But Ali was known to be a fast warrior. Like, you know, he was very fast. So he managed to block that blow by Talha with his shield. So Ali blocked it with his shield. And with his other hand, he strikes Talha very fast below his thigh. And he chops off one of Talha's legs. Talha falls on his back. And then Ali now will f- has to finish him off. So Talha starts begging for his life. Now everybody's watching this. But people can't hear the conversation. Like people can't hear what Talha is telling Ali and what Ali is telling Talha. Because if, if you can imagine, it's in the middle between the two armies. So yeah, they can't hear them. But they can see what's going on. So Ali is about to kill him and then Talha starts begging for his life. Please don't do this. You know, this is kinship. We are a family at the end of the day. I beg of you, don't kill me. I don't want to lose my life. So Ali lowers his sword and he feels embarrassed. He said, okay, you know what? Just, you know, collect yourself. And he walks back to the army of the Muslims. And then the Muslims basically ask him, why didn't you, you know, end it? And Ali said, he begged me and, you know, that's enough of a humiliation for him. Look at the attitude of Ali. Incredible attitude. If it was one of them, they would have probably finished it off even with begging. Because they started the fight to kill the Muslims. And by the way, the main, the main goal for Quraysh from this battle was to kill the Prophet ﷺ, not the Muslims. They basically said, if we kill the Prophet ﷺ, then the rest of the Muslims will fall after because they will have no leaders and they will have no leader and their morale will drop, you know, and all these things. Now, the two armies charge against each other and the battle begins. And again, like we said, it's a one-on-one and whoever, you know, we talked about this in the Battle of Badr, so we can basically, you know, assume uh, how the battle looked like. Now, one of the hypocrites by the name of uh, Quzman, he goes back. Now, he the the hypocrites remember he they 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 fled the battlefield. They, they fled the battle. Uh, they left. They were, they were actually before they reached the battlefield, they left. So when he went back to Medina, he gets offended when the women start mocking him. So the women started mocking him, and they said, "Oh, you come to sit with the women, blah blah blah," and all these things. So he got mad. And his, you know, manlyhood now is, you know, injured, right? So he grabs his shield, grabs his sword, and he goes to fight. But guess what? He was fighting for the wrong reasons. He did not care about the Muslims. He did not do it for the sake of Allah. He did it for his own pride. So he goes back and he sees the battle going on. So he fights with the Muslims. And he's very aggressive. You know, he's fighting. Now he's like, he wants to prove something to the ladies of Medina. So one of the companions sees him and he's amazed. So he goes to the Prophet and he tells him, you know, Quzman is in the battlefield and he's amazing. Like, oh, wow. If you, if you see how he fights, he's very fierce. So the Prophet tells him uh, he will go to hellfire anyway. He's going to hellfire anyway. So the companion is shocked by the statement of the Prophet. Like he couldn't und- what what? I'm telling you he's fighting on our side and he's fierce and are you telling me who he's going to hellfire anyway? Why? Is it fair? So because of course nobody doubted the wisdom of the Prophet and how how much he because when when the Prophet says he's going to hellfire, the Prophet is not speculating, he's not judging. He's told by Allah. You have to understand, when a Prophet ﷺ makes any statement about the unseen, that's not his own opinion. That's not what he thinks. He is told by Allah. Like we said, any hadith about the Prophet ﷺ is told to him by Allah, but he just worded it himself. So the companions, the companion knows that. 
So he's like, okay, now I need to see what's going on with this guy, Kuzman. I want to see what the Prophet is talking about. So he starts following him in the battlefield and you know, watching him from a distance. Then he sees that Kuzman gets hit by an arrow in his shoulder. And he starts screaming and wailing, and he's like, as if you know, it was the end of the world. Right? He takes it out, but he still cannot bear the pain. So he takes his out his own sword. He puts the handle of the sword on the ground. So basically he flips the sword, puts the handle on the ground, and the sharp edge is facing up. And literally he just throws himself on the sharp edge. He literally commits suicide. He commits suicide because of an arrow that hit his shoulder. He was not hit he was not hit with a, like a fatal blow or a fatal injury. His shoulder and that teaches us that because he was not sincere. Because he was not sincere, Allah exposed him. His end was so difficult and horrible. He committed suicide. Because he was never sincere. And Allah, of course, informed the Prophet ﷺ. And then the companion came back to the Prophet ﷺ to tell him basically what happened. He said, Quzman literally committed suicide he couldn't handle it and now ya rasulullah i know exactly what you meant and then the prophet says this famous hadith responds with this incredibly famous hadith indeed allah sometimes will help this religion through an evil human being this is famous because some people try to hurt Islam in modern times and because they propagate evilness about Islam, they try to smear Islam publicly, people become more interested in Islam and learning the truth about Islam and many people eventually accept Islam. Because of that person, that evil human being who is trying to smear Islam and try to smear the Muslims. This is exactly what the Prophet ﷺ told us. وَإِنَّ Allah will help this religion. Will it help you know, spreading this religion through an evil human being who had no good intentions? SubhanAllah. This is one of the miracles of Allah. One of the miracles of Allah. Now, on the side of Quraysh, there was a slave by the name of Wahshi. That's another incident now is taking place during the battle. Uh, and he was owned by Jubair. Now, Jubair was the uncle. His uncle was killed in the Battle of Badr by the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, by Hamza. You know, we, again, we don't need to introduce Hamza. Uh, for He's very famous with his conversion story. We had a whole episode about him and Omar. Remember, we said Hamza was literally when he converted to Islam, it brought dignity and honor to the Muslims themselves, not to Islam, because Islam is perfect, right? But because he was so fearless, he didn't remember his story when Abu Jahl was saying, uh, was attacking Muhammad, and then, you know, he converted because he didn't know. He didn't know, he did not agree to Islam. Hamza, did, the uncle, did not agree to Islam, but he did not like the fact that Abu Jahl insulted his nephew, our Prophet. So he said, you know what? I'm upon his religion. And then in his mind, he's like, what did I just do? And then he made dua to Allah sincerely. Oh Allah, if I made the right choice, show me the way. And if I made the wrong choice, cause me to die. And he goes to the Prophet and he basically feels better. And Iman enters his heart. Faith enters his heart. And he's the one alongside with Umar, the, the most two fierce warriors and the most two fierce, you know, of course, after the Prophet they take all the Muslims for the first time and they pray next to the Kaaba in Mecca publicly and no one was able to say anything this like before this incident before hamza and umar muslims were being humiliated after hamza and umar things started changing this is hamza that we're talking about so he killed jubair jubair is on the side of quraish he's the owner of this guy wahshi i know there's a lot of names but i'm sorry just please follow me here so jubair is a pagan He's from Quraysh, and he owns a slave called Wahshi. We talked about, you know, the issue, issue of slavery and how it's different in Islam, of course, but they're not even Muslims anyway, so it doesn't really matter here. 
And uh, Jubair's uncle was killed in the Battle of Badr by Hamza. Hamza is the uncle of the Prophet So Jubair makes a deal with Wahshi, his own slave, and he says, if you kill Hamza, I will free you. You're a free man. So <laughs> Wahshi had no desire of participating in the battle. He had no quarrel. He did not pick sides. He's a slave. But when someone tells you you're going to own your own freedom, if you just kill someone in a battle, Wahshi's like, all right, show me where to go and, you know, I'll do it. Now, Hamza was known in Quraysh, so Wahshi knows what he looks like, right? So basically, uh, uh, Wahshi, Wahshi took his spear uh, or javelin and uh, he goes into the battlefield. Then he finds Hamza. He actually does find him in the battlefield. So he starts, you know, quietly following him. And he keeps hiding. Like he hides in certain spots. Again, we're talking about like there are bushes, there are, you know. So he keeps hiding in certain spots because he's looking for the right opportunity to attack Hamza. And, uh, he waits, waits, and waits until Hamza gives him his back to fight someone else. Then Wahshi throws his spear at Hamza, which goes, you know, through his back, and it came out from his stomach, from his front. So basically, the spear penetrated or pierced Hamza's body. And despite this fatal, you know, throw or this fatal wound Hamza turns around and tries to fight Wahshi and he's about to attack him but he collapsed as soon as he lifted his sword and subhanallah it's befitting and it's a sad ending for Hamza you know uh, but it's obvious that no one was able to take Hamza in one on one combat in a hand-to-hand combat or a sword-to-sword combat, a one-on-one combat, no one was able to take Hamza. Subhanallah, he was a, a truly fierce warrior. Truly fierce warrior. Now, what happens to Hamza is a little bit graphic. So for those of you, this is the, a little bit of disclaimer. Again, we're talking about a battlefield. I try as much as I can to not uh, 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 describe, uh, you know, uh, gory scenes but this one is is critical because it's happening to the uncle of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam one of the best supporters of islam and someone that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam loved him so much loved him so much so hamza uh the i mean the wife of abu sufyan her name was hind out of pure hatred for our prophet sallallahu and for the muslims she sees Hamza's body and he's dead in the battlefield. She takes a dagger, she takes a knife and she cuts his stomach. Again, I'm sorry to this. This is exactly what's mentioned in all the books of Sirah, the biography. She takes out his liver and takes a, and bites it and throws and spits it out. It's incredible. It's incredible the goriness and the pure hatred and it shows you pure hatred blinds people and makes them do things not humanly possible or not humanly appropriate it turns people into animals sometimes pure hatred and that's exactly what happened then then she doesn't stop then she cuts off his fingers and she makes a necklace out of them can you believe the, the, the brutality? It's insane. It's insane. Then the Prophet ﷺ sees this. You know, he doesn't witness what was happening. He sees the body of Hamza afterwards. And he cries so hard that the companion said that his beard was just drenched in, in tears. His beard was drenched in tears. It was soaking wet from tears. And 
he he didn't stop crying for a long time and he makes that statement he says if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives me victory over the people of Quraysh because what she did was she mutilated the body of Hamza she mutilated the body of Hamza so the Prophet says I will mutilate 30 of them in return of what they did to Hamza the Prophet is angry and sad and grieved I will mutilate 30 of them in return of what they did to Hamza. And to that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals in the chapter of Nahl, verse number 126. If you want to punish, punish in the same way and do not exaggerate. And if you forgive, it is better for you. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the statement of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, I shall, I shall mutilate 30 of them. So Allah says, no, no. If you want to punish, punish the same way and do not exaggerate. Don't go over, you know. And if you forgive, it is better for you. If you become patient and you forgive, it is better for you. When this verse was revealed, the Prophet ﷺ made it a law that Muslims shall never mutilate any dead body of any enemy they face in a battlefield. Mutilation is haram now because of this. Now, here's the interesting part. Do you guys know who told us how do we know the story of Wahshi killing Hamza? It was told us by Wahshi himself. Because guess what? Wahshi, Jubair, his owner, and Hind, the one who did, the wife of Abu Sufyan, who did what she did to Hamza, they're all converted to Islam later on. Can you believe this? They all converted to Islam. They became Muslims and they were forgiven by the Prophet and by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala above all. Isn't that incredible? Wahshi is the one who's telling us the story after he became a Muslim. He's telling the companions now when he was asked, how did you kill Hamza? He told the story. He's like, I'm not proud of it. It was a dark moment in my life, but this is how it worked. This is how it happened. And he told us, that's how we know the story from from Wahshi himself. Jubair, who told Wahshi, he became a Muslim. Hind, who mutilated uh, Hamza, she became a Muslim. Now, after the battle, you know, uh, after a while, the Muslims win massively. Now, we don't have a lot more details, you know, like this is, I think that's what we, you know, what was gathered from the books of Sirah and the books of the biography and, you know, the hadith and all these things. Now, it shows you that the plan of narrowing down the army of Quraysh worked perfectly and the Muslims made their way until the back of the army. Can you imagine? The Muslims fought their way all the way to the back of the army of the Quraysh. You know? Now, another incident, let me tell you another incident. <clears throat> a cousin of the Prophet, one of the cousins of the Prophet felt some sort of way. This is actually a very interesting uh, and a sweet uh, story. Felt some sort of way when the Prophet ﷺ gave the sword to Abu Dujana. Remember when the Prophet ﷺ at the beginning of the battle he said, who's going to take the sword? And, you know, so we said Abu Dujana took it. So he felt, he's like, I'm the cousin. I'm your cousin. Why did you give it, give it to this guy? I should have taken it. So he followed Abu Dujana. Now he's like, I want to know why is this guy, you remember the following? Someone followed the hypocrite, Quzman. Uh, uh, and he found out why he was a coward and why he was going to go to hellfire. Now, the opposite is happening. Someone is following Abu Dujana to see why he's so special, why the Prophet allowed him to take the sword. Right? And this is narrated by the cousin of the Prophet. He says that Abu Dujana never met someone from the enemy and didn't kill with the sword. He literally used the sword, you know, until it was broken. You know? Every single warrior met Abu Dujana was, you know, was killed by that sword. And now 
that little jealousy that was in the heart of the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ turned into he's cheering for him now. Go Abu Jujana, go, go kill them all, you know. And then uh, there was a seasoned warrior on the side of Quraysh, and no one was able to kill him. So the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ makes dua to Allah in the battlefield that he meets Abu Dujana and that Abu Dujana kills him. And guess what? Allah accepted the dua and eventually they both meet that seasoned warrior and Abu Dujana. They fight and Abu Dujana ends him in the battlefield. He gets rid of him. You know? Another very interesting uh, situation that took place in the battle also in this battle, our Prophet ﷺ kills a pagan for the first and the only time, and the last time. The Prophet ﷺ never killed anyone, you know, he fought, but he did not kill anyone except for that one person that he died on, you know, on the hand. And by the way, dying by the hand of a Prophet is such a disgrace. It's such a dishonor. You know, and you guys know this. If you were following the the the, uh, the biography from the beginning, uh, uh, you know of the episodes, the guy was Ubay ibn Khalaf. Who is Ubay ibn Khalaf? Remember, back in Mecca when the Prophet ﷺ used to pray by the Kaaba, and then this man came from behind him and choked him while he was praying, and then again another time he came from behind and he took the intestine of the the sacrificial or the camel uh, and, and and you know the carcass and he threw he threw it on top of the prophet ﷺ while he was prostrating remember these two situations we talked about them in the beginning of of our biography uh, episodes that's the man right there he was the filthiest of the filthy not worse than abu jahl but he literally comes second in terms of you know worst ranks so Ubay was on his horse when he saw, and, and here's the funny part. The Prophet did not go looking for him. He literally saw, he was on his horse in the battle of Uhud. He saw the Prophet in the battlefield, so he charged towards the Prophet to attack him. When some of the companions saw this, they surrounded the Prophet to protect him. They saw him coming towards the Prophet. So the Prophet responded and he said, no, don't. He is mine. Literally, he told him, do not protect me. He's mine. Then, uh, Ubayi came close to him and the Prophet dodged his blow. So he came close to him and he you know, swung his sword uh, against the Prophet So the Prophet dodged the blow and then he took, the Prophet had a spear with him. He stabbed him in the spear in his neck. Now, uh, Ubayi was wearing an armor, but you know, if you, if you notice in movies, there are little holes, you know, in the armors, you know, like gaps. So he stabbed them in that specific, in that one gap by his neck. And Abu uh, uh, and Ubay fell off his horse and eventually he died of his wounds. And like I said, being killed by a prophet is a great dishonor. That means Allah, there's no hope for you. Now, after the battle, the army of Quraysh fled. Again, same exact attitude like the Battle of Badr. They fled the battlefield. They started, you know, running back to Quraysh. They left, you know, their weapons, animals behind. And when this, when this happened, now the Muslims are seeing, you know, the armies fleeing. They're running, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're retreating. So the, Mus- the, Muslim felt, the Muslims felt confident enough to put down their swords and armors, and they started to basically collect the spoils of war. So, and that was a big problem because they started focusing on worldly materials. They started focusing on worldly rewards, the spoils of war. You know, uh, they were like collecting weapons, animals, armors, all these things, you know, it's worldly materials, materials. And when the archers, there were about 50 archers, by the way, on top of that mountain. When they saw the army collecting the spoils of war, they began debating among themselves now. Should we leave? Because now we need to go collect as well 
you know, we need to go get, gather what we can. And 10 of them, now, by the way, the laws of the spoils of war did not come down yet in the Quran because it was chaotic before they didn't know what to do. But Allah later on reveals what exact, how to divide it so there's no chaos in the battlefield. Now, 10 of them, 10 of the 50 archers said, we will not move until the Prophet gives us the command. Because he said, do not move, remember? Do not move until I tell you to do so. But 40 of them decided to be like, we're going to keep waiting. We won the battle. Look, they're collecting the spoils of war, the booty, right? I don't, I don't want to sit here. I'm just going to go and collect with them. And that was 40 out of 50, uh, which was a significant number. So during this time, and we're going to end with this. While the Muslims, while the people of Quraysh were fleeing the battlefield, there was one person who did not fully retreat. And that person was none other than Khalid ibn al-Walid. The military genius, that fierce warrior, that intelligent uh, uh, army leader. He kept analyzing the situation. And he had with him around... Uh, 300 men he had with him again he was an uh, an army leader he was a leader he had under his command 300 around 300 men so he stopped running away because he saw the archers leaving their posts he saw the archers leaving their the mountain basically you know they're, they're, they're leaving the mountain they're leaving their posts they're leaving their spots and when he saw that, immediately he led his men through that little passage. Remember that they were supposed to protect that passage between the mountain of Uhud and the mountain of the archers, that little passage. He led his men through that passage. And uh, basically, uh, they started hiding behind the mountain of the archers so the Muslims wouldn't see them. And guess what? From the, the spot that he was in, the location that he was in, you have the Muslims are now split in half. A half is collecting the 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 the, the spoils of war, and the other half is with the Prophet ﷺ, and he was literally in the middle. Him and his men were in the middle, and they were about to divide the Muslims in half and change the tide of this battle and turn it from a victory to the Muslims to a defeat. And inshallah, we'll talk about the second half of the Battle of Uhud, uh, and which will have will, will turn into a great chaos and a great kind of disaster uh, because the Muslims felt overconfident. And for a second reason, which is the most important reason, Muslims disobeyed the commands of the Prophet ﷺ, and above all they disobeyed because the commands coming from Allah through the Prophet ﷺ, so they disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger for worldly materials the Prophet said do not move they did because they were tempted by the spoils of war and inshallah we'll talk in detail about the other half of the battle which is 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 crazy we'll talk about it inshallah uh, so I'm glad that I left you on this cliffhanger, but inshallah we'll talk uh, 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 next time and we'll finish this, the, the whole incident of the Battle of Uhud uh, next time inshallah. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.